This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from almost always sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law, and also the Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Today, Bob, we're going to be talking about the latest Global 100 report that shows the top U.K. firms growing with a surge in profitability, and it's creating quite a stir here in the United States. Uh, That's right. This is the report from the American Lawyer magazine, and uh, one of the things that it talks about is that uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg and others in New York are are somewhat uh, trying to figure out why they now have to compete with London as a top-notch financial center. Well, it's the Magic Circle Quintet, five elite law firms consisting of Allen & Overy, Clifford Chance, Slaughter & May, Freshfields, Bruckhouse, Derringer, and Linklaters that are looking at the world domination when it comes to global business and law, and I'm sure I probably mispronounced some of those names. Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to talk about the power of the Magic Circle and uh, the, uh, the, the uh, resurgence uh, of the U.K. firms and the competition between U.S. and U.K. firms as well as in other corners of the globe. And we'll look ahead at what the future holds for business and law in the United Kingdom. Well, I'd like to welcome our first guest, who's Richard Lloyd. Richard is the American Lawyer Magazine's chief European correspondent, and he's been so since the beginning of this year. Before American Lawyer, he was Deputy Editor of UK Magazine Legal Business, as well as Senior Editor of the Legal 500 Directory. He's got more than seven years of experience reporting on legal markets in the UK and Europe. recently wrote the article, Magic Circle Firms Have the Magic Touch. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thanks very much, guys. Good to be here. Richard, I wonder if you could just kick off by uh, telling our listeners, not all of our listeners are even going to know, be familiar with the phrase magic circle firms. What is the magic circle? Where did the name come from? And uh, who are they? Well, who actually coined the name is still a bit of a mystery. But the origins are largely from a group of uh, London firms who um, collaborated largely on... um, uh, hiring um, salaries, they had an unofficial agreement um, that they wouldn't um, poach each other's staff, and they morphed into the quintet that we have today that have come to dominate high-end corporate and finance work in London and across many parts of Europe and Asia. Well, you've had some experience reporting on the markets in the UK. How is it that this group came into being? What uh, what fostered that kind of collaboration? Well, historically, um, two of the firms, Linklaters and Slaughter and May, uh, really dominated um, high-end corporate work in the UK. They were the advisors to many blue-chip corporate um, corporations in, in the UK. You then had Clifford Chance that came about from a merger between um, Coward Chance and Clifford Turner in the late 1980s, which really brought together two good but mid, mid-sized firms and created a, a very large, powerful, principally finance-led practice. Allen & Overy has always been a well-established and well-respected firm, but it did particularly well in the 
recession of the early 90s and, and particularly while picking up some very good restructuring work and it too has a very impressive um, finance practice. Freshfields also came slightly later to the to the party. It was and still is the advisor to the Bank of England. Um, but what it has done very effectively is grow its corporate practice, largely off the back of uh, investment banking mandates. And today, it's uh, like they all are hugely powerful global practice. So the top corporate and finance mandates in the UK have migrated to this quintet over the past 15 years to the extent that they really do dominate the top-end work in London. And the the Global 100 looks at, if I understand it, the highest-grossing firms uh, globally throughout the world. And the top of this list this year uh, seems to be, uh, well, perhaps not dominated, but certainly has its good share of of, uh, Magic Circle firms with Clifford Chance in first place and Linklater's uh, in second place. What's going on here? The U.K. firms have always been strong in terms of revenues. They've always been the largest. They woke up very um, early to the fact that the UK, their own domestic market, is is pretty small, um, that English law is a global phenomenon, and that therefore they could globalize um, easily, but also that they had to globalize because they, they didn't have the same huge internal market the US firms benefit from. So revenues have always been pretty significant for these guys, very big. The key change that we're noticing now is their increased profitability. For a long time, the perception was, and certainly held probably by a lot of U.S. lawyers, that you couldn't be big and global and profitable. And what we're seeing now is a lot of the, you, the, the, the magic circle, led particularly by Linklaters, are starting really to shatter that myth. There's been some kind of sour grapes, I think, here in the United States, where some people have kind of postulated that Sarbanes-Oxley has been the cause of several companies uh, fleeing United States uh, financial markets and moving to England. In fact, there's some evidence that perhaps uh, the AIM market in London has uh, outstripped the NASDAQ and London's been successful in attracting business. Do you think that uh, the lack of a Sarbanes-Oxley-style piece of legislation in England has fueled uh, the magic circle? Undoubtedly, um, it has helped. Um, I think uh, AIM and uh, the London Stock Exchange can take some credit for effectively marketing uh, themselves across the world. And you, if you look at the companies that have come to London, um, it's quite a broad range, but a lot are coming from emerging emerging markets. And if you're an executive sat in Moscow or Bombay, sorry, Mumbai, um, and you say, where do we want to access capital? And if you look at the regulatory regime in the U.S., then and you compare it with London, then London certainly looks very attractive. But don't also forget that London has a natural geographic advantage in that it is, just look at a map, very well placed in the middle of the world so that you can do business in the same day in Asia and with America, which is, is it's a very powerful position the city has. Richard, there was a report, I believe it was in 
the the Financial Times uh, not too long ago, a few weeks back, that that painted a somewhat gloomier picture. I mean, it, it acknowledged this surge in profitability among the Magic Circle firms, but it suggested that uh, that may be about to turn around uh, with uh, with some turmoil in the world financial markets. Do you have uh, an assessment of that? What, how do you see that situation? It's it's currently the great unknown. And if you talk to lawyers in London and ask them how they're looking for the next couple of months, they, the general message is the pipeline's looking pretty strong till the end of the year. Um, there are some, still some deals that need to get done that are getting done. It's going into 2008 that's going to be... Um, the uh, the interesting thing to watch. Uh, there are more and more reports clearly in the press that the investment banks are feeling the pinch. But if you look historically, law firms tend to, if they when they actually do feel a pinch, there's a lag. It maybe six months, a year after. So I would expect that the UK firms would still post pretty strong financials next year perhaps not seeing the same growth as we've seen this year, but it would then be a case of how they perform in 2009 and see what sort of results they then report on then. It pinch may be precisely the word for it, as opposed to a hit. I mean, if these firms are seeing some of the most significant profit, profitability that they've seen uh, ever, uh, from what I've read, uh, uh, even if there is a, a downturn, it's not like they're going to be hurting, are they? Well, I mean, you know, the, you know what they say: lawyers always always make money, and they always do well. Uh, but a significant downturn will be it will be very interesting to see how the Magic Circle perform against the leading U.S. players. If you look at the performance of the U.K. firms after the dot com bubble burst, they really reached their nadir in around 2003-2004 in terms of profitability. They still did very well, but in, com- in comparison with the U.S. firms, they were struggling. And what you have in the U.K. and Europe, you, you don't have the same counter-cyclical um, strengths that really come to the fore in, terms of, uh, in, in, in times of a recession, so that we don't have the same litigation culture here. We also don't and didn't have... Um, in 2001, 2002, the same sort of event-driven um, insolvency work relate that you that you had in the U.S., for example, with with Enron, the collapse of Anderson, WorldCom, etc., which meant that quite a few U.S. firms continue to do very well. In contrast, the U.K. firms suffered. Now, it's a question, and no one really knows the answer to this yet. Um, of course, of, of how any restructuring, of how any recession might play out over the next couple of years, even if, if indeed there is a recession. Do you think that it, part of the profitability of the firms is driven by the success of the pound sterling and uh, the disadvantages of the dollar? It 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 helps. Um, it clearly helps, but you know, don't forget at the same time, if you're a, if you're a U.S. corporation looking at U.K. lawyers, these guys are very expensive. I mean, a thousand dollars an hour is it would be widespread given the um, current weakness of the dollar. It, it, it's clearly an issue, but it shouldn't be exaggerated because if you look at our numbers, for example, if you go to um, a position where the dollar is 
about 1.6 to the pound, where a lot of people think it should be, Linklater's profits would still be around $2 million, just under $2 million. Um, so you, you can recognize um, the fact that, of course, the dollar has weakened, but I don't think you can, you can overplay it and ignore the fact that what has happened is that these firms have enjoyed some incredibly buoyant markets um, and have really improved um, the way that they manage their bottom line. Well, they have actually done some things to manage their bottom line and drive down the ratio of staff to lawyers. Isn't that right? Yeah, they have. They have. Um, the history with a lot of most of the magic circle is that they went into new markets in Europe of some quite large mergers. You had fresh fields in Germany with, 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 with two firms, Brookhaus and Deringer, uh, Linklaters in Germany with Oppenhoff and Radler, uh, Clifford Chance with a firm called Punda, and then in other small jurisdictions, similar, smaller deals. And what happened is they tended to replicate a lot of their support services um, in these places. So you would have business development function in, in each country. What, what firms, I think, are uh, waking up to is that you don't need that same sort of large support overhead in every single jurisdiction you're at. You can, you can consolidate that. You could have more people based in one site, um, which naturally leads to improved cost savings. But it, this is, it's a work in progress for these, these guys. They'll, they'll tell you that they haven't, they haven't uh, hit the jackpot yet. Richard, from your perspective, is there, uh, what is it about these firms other than location, uh, with, with maybe location becoming increasingly irrelevant uh, in, this, in this global market, uh, but what is it about them that distinguishes their, their practices or their operations from their U.S. counterparts? The sheer, uh, the proportion of the lawyers outside of London, the home base, has meant that they have had to get to grips very quickly with what it means to be global and how to manage a business globally. Uh, there's a very interesting piece um, in the Octo in in um, the October American Lawyer on Linklaters, um, and it's very interesting if you if you read that to see how. They have developed, and, and, and the greater emphasis that they place on the top band of clients, 40 or 50 uh, platinum clients that they act for, major corporations and investment banks, and the great priority that they place on work that is spread across jurisdictions, which for them is a, is a, is a byword for complexity and, and therefore higher, higher billings. There's been some movement in London toward publicly traded law firms. Uh, is that played part of this, or any of the Magic Circle members publicly traded? No, it, it hasn't happened here yet. The legislation is currently um, going through Parliament, and it, se it still seems to be a few years off, maybe um, 2011, but um, it seems to be a movable feast at the moment. A lot of people I know have been interested in the situation in Australia where there have been a couple of firms list on the stock exchange over there. And uh, anecdotally, we hear that investment banks in London are starting to put together 
packages to entice firms to not just float, but to generally access uh, a larger pool of capital. Richard, you've you uh, worked on this Global 500 report, and, and from what I understand, you worked in the past for legal business on its uh, Global uh, 50 reports. Uh, what what strikes you as, as most significant about this latest report? Uh, what 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 uh, what really kind of hit you over the head as you looked at this? Um, the the closing of the gap between the Magic Circle Quintet and some of the leading practices in the U.S., you know, all bar the super boutiques in, in New York, uh, the likes of Linklaters and, and, and Freshfields have really closed the gap on firms that historically we had grown very used to having a significant profitability edge over their U.K. rivals. Uh, if you look at Cleary or, or, or Latham, say, um, they have uh, now, to some extent, well, they have now actually passed those those firms, or certainly closed the gap. And it's interesting because in London we've been used to having U.S. firms on the ground for a long time, and, and certainly for the past decade at least, in aggressively growing their English law practices. And they often did that off the back of improved profitability and, and offering um, English partners uh, great riches. It's increasingly hard for them to do that because they don't enjoy the same um, lead as they as they did. Now, the, the magic circle is fairly well known in the legal industry, certainly in London. But is it known generally to corporations and members of the general public? To corporations and the corporate finance community as a whole, it's an incredibly powerful brand. To your man on the street, he, he probably wouldn't know what you were talking about, uh, certainly in terms of uh, where law firms are concerned. Um, but it's, 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 it's incredibly powerful amongst corporations and investment banks to the extent that banks will often insist uh, to corporations that you have to have a magic circle firm sign off on these documents, be it a, a, a merger, an acquisition, or, or an IPO. Um, it's it's, it's, it's that strong. It's time for us to take a short break. We will be back in just a few moments with more discussion about the Global 500. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. 
We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayitpleasethecourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. Did you know that Legal Talk Network podcasts are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. Back with us is Richard Lloyd, chief European correspondent for the magazine The American Lawyer. Uh, Richard, I, one of the questions, uh, or rather one of the uh, comments I read uh, about uh, the uh, financial success uh, of of the Magic Circle firms uh, is that the continuation of that success will depend to some extent on the extent to which those firms have, have diversified their practices. Uh, have they sufficiently diversified their practices? I mean, are, do they rely too much on, say, the financial services market for their business, or is there a, a, a broader base that can support them through ups and downs in various market sectors? Well, they rely a, a great deal on the finance market, um, there's no doubt. And they it's worth reiterating that, it, it, that we don't have the same culture in the U.S. Um, there is some fallback in that litigation practices and solvency practices will naturally um, pick up as uh, we go through a downturn, but there isn't the same sort of class action um, culture or um, litigation culture as you have in the U.S., which is a, it's a, it's a very important point to make. Um, what the U.K. firms have done in, in in particular, is is to really focus on their top uh, 20% of clients who really um, account for a, a large proportion of their billings. What it's hard to, harder to read is really how these firms will fare if the markets do take a significant downturn. They are well um, hedged geographically in that they are now strong across the world, bar probably the U.S., um, so that if it's a downturn that just affects one region, they're strong elsewhere. Um, but it's, it, it's very hard to read how, how they will, how they will uh, perform if, if a recession really hits. 
There's been some naysayers who call it the tragic circle in the event of a downturn. Is there a significant, uh, in this instance, uh, geography? I mean, where did they get the term circle from? Is it, do they, are, are the firms located in the same area? Um, no, they're not. They're not. Um, the magic circle is, is really a play on the magic circle of um, a, a union, really, of, of magicians based in London, which is very secretive, collaborative organization. And therefore, the, the term was borrowed uh, to describe this quintet. Um, they're spread throughout the city. In fact, Clifford Chance, the largest, is now to the east of, east of the city in um, a large commercial center called Canary Wharf. Um, but no, they're, uh, no they're, they're spread out across London. Richard, you, uh, you refer to this as, as the magic touch. Uh, how does this play out uh, within these firms internally? I mean, I know there was a lot of publicity uh, even in the United States earlier this year when, when a, a former Freshfields partner sued for age discrimination after the firm restructured its compensation scheme, or, mm-hmm. or I think its retirement benefit scheme in, in particular. Yeah. Uh, are we seeing more, as these firms respond to this kind of profitability and these revenues, are we seeing more of that, and how is that playing out? Uh, the, the Freshfields situation is, is fairly unique because they had a very um, generous pension scheme, which they had to reform or they would be faced in about 10 years of, of a very, very, very significant burden on, on their profitability. And, and um, they knew they had to reform it. Um, therefore, that's seen as a little bit of a one-off. What, what's interesting is to, to see what it says about partnership culture now within these firms. Um, that a lot of people outside the magic circle would say they're not partnerships, certainly not as we have traditionally known them, and they are now more akin to the, to the corporate model. Um, the magic circle themselves would, would reject that. Um, but there, has, there seems to be an evolution of, of what it means to be a partner and, and what it what partnership actually means. It's, it's been a long-held term that's revolved around collegiality and, and held very strong by uh, the lockstep remuneration system. Um, but that, see, that, that has certainly um, seen what it means to be a partner change and evolve, and it's given rise to things like the Freshfields pensions. And is that is are they restructuring uh, their their equity tiers and non equity tiers? I mean, have there been changes in that, or is that pretty much stayed the same? They have. Uh, Freshfields has become the last Magic Circle firm to introduce non equity partners. Um, all the other firms have done that over the past ten years. Um, have really and have, to different degrees, really grown their non-equity, non-equity partnership. Um, Freshfields has now done it, and, and again, it's, it's part in response to um, the need to improve profitability at these firms, and also the fact that they operate on such a global basis that to pay the same 
to, say, an M&A rainmaker in London to pay him the same level as a corporate partner in Beijing doesn't necessarily add up. There seems to be kind of a shakeup going on in English law and English culture in terms of how law firms relate to clients that may have uh, started some time ago, but perhaps best symbolized by England's choice to have their lawyers not wear wigs anymore in court and shun robes. Do you think that there's been a global shift in uh, away from the kind of conservative nature of the law practice that England's known for? Yes. I'd, I would say that most of the leading English firms woke up to the fact that they are businesses um, and need to operate as businesses quite some time ago. And it has been, they have been largely very successful uh, in doing that. Yeah, there's still, I think, some way to go. Um, but really led by the magic circle and the gains that they have made. Law firm management, it may be seen as a, as a, as a, as a dirty word by um, quite a lot of people here and in, in, in the U.S., but it, it's really shown been shown by the magic circle to be a very powerful um, and important part of um, of these businesses. Richard, we're nearing the end of a, the time for our program, as is our practice here. We like to give our guests an opportunity to wrap up with uh, any final thoughts they have on the topic, and then also to tell our listeners where they can find out more about you or uh, about uh, where they can find your article on uh, the magic circle firms. So if you want to give us your final thoughts on this topic and uh, point us to a website or where readers can get back in touch with you if they care to do that. Well, I would, I would say watch the space in terms of the performance of the Magic Circle over the next couple of years. Uh, I think it's um, very dangerous to underestimate the power and, and continued success of, of many of the U.S. firms. And to that end, it's, it's, it will be very interesting to see how the Magic Circle looks to compete in the U.S. Um, over the next couple of years and whether we do actually see a true transatlantic merger, um, a real top-tier merger of equals. Uh, to, you can find me at theamericanlawyer.com as well as in the print edition. Um, I have a regular column uh, every month uh, on the London and European market. And in fact, the full Global 100 report is is available on the American Lawyer is there as well yeah. website, AmericanLawyer.com, and uh, in this month's magazine as well. So, look forward to uh, uh, reading all of that. Look it up. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for participating in today's show. And Bob, it's a pleasure to talk to you as always. Maybe uh, 40 years ago, we had a rock and roll invasion from Britain. Maybe in the next few years, we'll be seeing a British invasion of law firms. I think it started. Yeah, thank you very much, Richard. It's been great talking to you. Thanks again for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. 
Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.